Welcome to the Scribner Australia podcast, books that talk. Hello, my name is Tegan Bennett-Daylight and I'm a writer, a teacher and a literary critic. I'm an author of several books, the most recent of which is a collection of essays, the details on love, death and reading. This book was the inspiration for this series of podcasts and it explores the way readers absorb books into their daily lives and bring their daily lives into their reading. And today I'm lucky enough to be talking to Kate Milden Hall, who's a writer and teacher. The debut novel Skylarking was published in 2016 and it was long listed for the Voss Literary Award and the Indie Book Award. Simon and Schuster published her second novel, The Mother Fault, in 2020. And additionally, Kate co-hosts the wonderful First Time podcast, a podcast in which she talks to writers about their first publishing experience. So welcome, Kate. Thank you, Tegan. It's so nice to talk to you. It is quite lovely to be together, isn't it? We've been waiting for this moment. We have. Let's talk first about the idea of being in conversation with a book. Can you tell me what this means to you both as a reader and as a writer? Oh, I feel like the conversations I have with books are bloody noisy, Tegan, because they're all still in my head constantly. And it's... It's sometimes I find it so difficult to actually place the ones that I want to be having the conversation with right at, at that particular moment. But what I tend to do, and now I'm speaking to you from my um, gorgeous new writing studio, which I'm so lucky to have, especially at this time in lockdown. And I've started physically piling the books that I want to be in conversation with right at a particular moment, whether it be for a project or something I'm thinking about. I have to physically pile them near me or call them back from all the places that I've lent them to my friends and writers so that I can see them and open them and um, dive back into them. So it's quite a physical thing, that kind of conversation that I'm in, the, the current conversations. Yeah, I actually used to have a feeling sometimes that I needed to eat books. Um, yes. <laughs> isn't that weird? <laughs> if I, I've just, I've just read. This is all about me. Of course, I've just read John Cheever's Falconer for the first time, and that was one of those books where I thought I need to eat this in order to have this as part of me. Do you get yes. that feeling with books? Yeah, I, I absolutely know that feeling, and I, I remember wanting to not eat them, but I thought that if I slept on them, if I, if I put my head actually physically on the book, that I might absorb it in a kind of more bodily way and I think that there are sentences I've heard you at, at events actually Tegan kind of being able to reel off these great slabs of text and and remember parts of books and I hate that I can't do that like I really when I'm a grown-up I, I want to have that skill <laughs> I want to practice that because yeah because I because I do feel like they 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 also pass through me sometimes far too quickly yeah. I'm a really fast reader yeah. my, my dad's a fast reader and I am too and it means it's wonderful because I I can absorb so many books but sometimes I do feel like they pass through me and I haven't retained enough of them yeah do you are you a writer like you're talking about piling up the books sometimes when I write I've got certain books open on the desk so I can uh Tony Birch and I talked about the idea of sort of taking a drink from a book do you yes do you yeah, do that? constantly. I, I just did a wonderful um, a wonderful writing retreat with the US author, Sarah Centilli's, um, and 
in that conversation, I talked about this idea of, of bower birding, which is how I, I write at the start of projects, which is absolutely just physically picking up the books and jumping in and taking lines and um, the same as, you know, Googling everywhere and, and just being able to pull all that stuff in, jump in from a line from another book and use that as, as the threshold. She talked about the threshold a lot and that threshold moment. Yeah, yeah. It's a beautiful gift, isn't it? Now, Kate is different to all of the writers I've interviewed so far in that she was unable to choose a single book. Completely unable. with, completely unable. And so I thought what I might do is uh, let her have her head and <laughs> tell us about the books that she's in conversation with. So can you... Run through your list, Kate, and then we'll jump around and talk about them. Okay, so I, I had a few. And can I just say this is because it sent sent me into such, you know, a, a spiral of anxiety to even think about naming one, Tegan, that I just, it, it was impossible. I almost said, no, I can't do this. <laughs> but the first one that, that came to mind was a, a picture book, um, mm-hmm. Koala Lu by Mem Fox. Yeah. Uh, was the first one. Shall I list them all off or do you want me to talk list about them, it? List them for us okay. and then we'll leap around at will. <laughs> Here is the very funny and strange list by me. Uh, Koala Lu by Mem Fox, A Suitable Boy, Vikram Seth, Cloud Street by Winton, uh, Sarah Moss's Ghost Wall, Swallow the Air by Tara, Tara June Winch, Kate Kennedy's Poetry, all of it, Underland by Robert McFarlane, The Poetry of Gwen Harwood, Bobbin Up by Dorothy Hewitt and The Die House by Mina Kelthorpe. There is my list. Brilliant, brilliant. Did you know that I do a thing with students at the beginning of every year where I say, okay, in our way of meeting each other is going to be you have to choose your favourite book and they all look stricken because how are you supposed to choose a favourite book? And I have to say that what I say to them is it's book or death. <laughs> but for you I thought I wouldn't say book or death. I'm so glad you didn't say that. <laughs> I just let you go for it. So why don't we start at the beginning, as it were, with the Mem Fox book, Koala Lu. Are you young enough to have read that as a child or is it just reading it to your own children? That's so interesting. I actually, just before we spoke, I looked up the publication date because I was trying to remember, is this a memory that I have of it being read to me as a child? Um, so I was about seven when it was released. So I probably would have read it at school or had it read to me at school, but I re-engaged with it before I had kids. Um, Mem Fox has got a wonderful book called Radical Reflections, which my mum gifted me uh, just before I became a teacher. It's a book on teaching and and particularly on reading with, with kids. And... Um, and to do with that, I, I found some recordings of Mem reading um, her work and reading Koala Lu. And it was the first book I bought when I knew I was pregnant with my first child. Lovely. Um, and read to her, you know, in utero. And there is a, a rhythm to the book, which I, I mean, picture books are so extraordinarily wonderful, but... I can just hear in my head this very dry Mem Fox kind of reading the end of it where the mum says, how you going, Blossom? And it just <laughs> beautiful. is just the most delightful. And, and, you know, and the end of the book, which is, um, you know, Koala Lu, I do love you, I always have and I always will. And she hugged her for a very long time. And yeah. it just, 
it reminds me, like when I say those words, I have my little kids, you know, sitting on me almost. Um, mm. So there's a real kind of, I'm not religious in any sense of the world, but there's that notion of it being like a prayer in yeah. the way that it's repeated. And I said to you when I, you know, I sent you through some notes that I think I'm actually always striving for that moment that there is in the end that I feel in the end of Koala Lu, which is this beautiful kind of resolution. Um, mm. and that's what I'm striving for when I write. You've also reminded me, um, my children are older than yours, but you've reminded me of that period when they're very young. Again, I, I keep sort of coming back to ideas of the body where you want somehow to have them be able to eat you actually rather mm. than you eat them in order to show them how precious they are to you and you want them to be able to carry that always. And sometimes when we read endings of books like Koala Lu, it's a way of, of using somebody else's words to reiterate that really powerful feeling. Yeah, absolutely, especially as they begin to bodily separate. From you. Yeah, I mean, especially as they're not kind of, it's not that constant clamber of having kids over your head and Fighting your body and everywhere else. Yeah. yeah. Um, once they, it's kind of like a drawing back when I've read it to them as they have got a, a little bit older, you know, I use it like to tempt them, tempt them back to me. Well, there's, I mean, we could, we could, but we, I guess we could <laughs> spend the entire time about talking about what it's like to read to kids, but let's, mm to another very primal form of literature, which is poetry. So talk to me about Kate Kennedy and Gwen Harwood. I want to know how long you've been reading poetry for and why the poetry of these two Australian women. So uh, let me begin with Gwen Harwood. Gwen Harwood was introduced to me um, during school, you know, like year 11 literature or something like that by my gorgeous uh, lit teacher, Hermione Burns. And I... I've been reflecting on this because I've actually used Harwood in the epigraph of my new book. Um, and I think I read in the park as a, you know, 16 year old and just thought, oh, this is an extraordinary poem. Having no idea really of, of what it meant. You know, it's the, the poem about the woman sitting in the park and she says about her kids, they have eaten me alive. You know, mm, and she watches eating. an old, yeah. yeah, she watches her old kind of flame walk past. And I was a big romantic and, you know, I wrote poetry and, you know, I, I think that's what drew me to the poem. But then coming back to it, when I was sitting in parks with mm. my own kids, having felt eaten, eaten alive, alive. <laughs> I couldn't believe that it had cut through those two parts of myself, if that makes sense, that I, that I could have heard it at such a kind of um, uh, core vibration when I was 16 and, and that it could still be speaking to me so powerfully later on. So, you know, mm. I just, I read so much of her work in that way that you do when you're studying something and you kind of obsessively then buy all the collected poems and keep reading and keep reading. Mm. And I think it was also that thing, Tegan, and I heard you speak about this with, with Charlotte in your um, Melbourne Writers' Festival event and I took notes but I've lost them and I can't remember who you were referring to but it was you were talking about reading someone who'd, who'd written, a woman who'd written, you know, a, a long time before you were writing and thinking that 
could have been me you know like that's that's my words or that style is so now and it's so present and I think that's the other thing that I thought wow this is poetry that is the type of poetry that I would like to be able to write at some right now yeah yeah Yeah. it's that feeling of nowness that makes um a classic and I think I was probably talking about George Eliot because I have a thing when I read Middlemarch well I remember when I read Middlemarch I thought but this could have just been written. Yeah. This is now. That's so, that is, it was this sort of moment where it's like, oh, so that's what a classic is. It could have just been written. Okay, so Kate Kennedy, what have you? Oh, what Kate Kennedy, and Kate's this word? is, I will totally embarrass myself, but I've actually got a little uh, poem here that I wrote to Kate Kennedy. Lovely. Uh, so this is, this is when I had... Uh, pretty small kids at the time I was trying to get back into writing so I gave up writing kind of when I finished school and no longer was winning short story competitions or you know I got my first rejection I was like stuff it that's it if I'm not going to be the best I'm not going to do it in that very foolish way we do and then I came back to it you know after the birth of both of my kids in that moment where you're like I don't know what that energy is, but it's huge. And I was reading poetry again and I read, I'd I'd read Kate Kennedy before, but I read her book, uh, The Taste of Riverwater, her collection. And I was filled with envy, everything about the book, the, the cover of it, the, um, the way that the, um, title had been embossed every single poem I was like I want to be you and so this is this is the beginning I'll just read the beginning of this poem mm, which please is, do dear Kate Kennedy you have stolen my poems or so it seems you have created the perfect slim sexy volume of poetry I have always wanted I covet your words and it goes on and on and tells her how much <laughs> oh, I adore wow. her Fantastic. Um, which of course I is this the debut her, reading is this the debut reading of the poem? It is the debut reading. Actually. Oh my god! Yeah. You heard it here first. I am thrilled. That's I did. Fantastic. I did tell her though, Tegan, yeah. um, in a very strange circumstance when I when my first book came out, I was at Bendigo Writers Festival, and she was in the audience. I think I was talking to Tony Jordan, and Tony must have recognised her, and so I gushed at her. Oh my gosh, Kate Kennedy, I want to be you. So I, she knows that I adore her. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> lovely. Okay, so now we're going to range over the prose. We're looking at A Suitable Boy by Vikram Set. We're looking at Cloud Street by Tim Winton. We're looking at Ghost Wall by Sarah Moss. Swallow the Air by Tara June Winch. Underland by Robert McFarlane and a couple of plays as well. Just leap on one of those, Kate, whichever one you want. So the one that's that, that I, I mentioned, uh, A Suitable Boy, because I finished reading that when I was in year nine, my parents who were both school teachers took us out of school and um, took us to Europe and we we drove around in a camper van for three months and you know I was 15 and appalling like I did I wanted to be at the parties back at home not in Paris which Mm. of course I've come to be terribly ashamed of as I have grown older but (laughs) I remember we were camped in the in the Bois de Boulogne on in, in in Paris, I said that terribly, but that's where we were camped. We're and my, We'll say it how we yeah, love. Exactly. <laughs> Dad had actually had to fly back for a job interview, so Mum and and my sister and I were there alone, and it was a, you know, an uncertain feeling being there on, on our own. And I finished a suitable boy, 
sitting next to the camper the camper van and I just threw it like I was so I was incensed with the book and Tegan to be honest I can't even remember how it ends now but all I remember is this rage that I would go through I remember the book was quite big so that I would go through this this whole journey with a writer and that they would treat me like this and I would be so filled with all the feelings at the end and I um I loved it and I hated it at the same time and I think that there is a part of me that remains as a writer wanting to do that to people that that you know when I have people say to me especially if I'm talking to to kids in schools because a lot of schools study skylarking and when the kids are like why did you do that or that shouldn't have happened and when they're filled with that kind of emotion it's just a deeply satisfying as a writer we're back to the body aren't we, <laughs> we are. you know you know i had a friend who uh, finished catch 22 and had to burn it wow <laughs> wow he said that's it i'm burning were they a writer, were they a writer he, or an he artist? was a he was a would-be writer um and i could never quite take apart whether it was envy or rage at the the going nowhereness of it and the way that spoke to something in him. But anyway, he burned it's it. All connected. It's all it's connected. connected. It's all connected. It's all connected. It's all connected. I'd love to hear you talk about Cloud Street because you're talking particularly about the first page. And I once did a live interview with Tim in a big packed theatre and we were talking about one of his late books. But I thought, I think I'll get him to read. And I got him to read from the first page of Cloud Street. And it just gives me shivers just to talk about uh, the audience. We're just, I just said, I just want to show you what he can do. And he read it and he's a beautiful reader as well. But there's something electric, isn't there? About it is pages. utterly electric. And, you know, I, I think, again, probably I read Winton of Cloud Street maybe came out when I was in year 11 or 12. I, I studied it definitely at school. Um, but it woke me up. You know, I was like, even that, that repetition, the river, the river. And, and I've just come back to it. This is one of my old copies of it. I've got multiple copies. Just that, will you look at us by the river? Oh. You know, I just like, are you allowed to do that? that that's you what are. I think the young like. Yes. Do this, and the the thing that gave me tingles, Tegan, too, when I went back to it, because I, I've deliberately picked it up and put it in one of these piles I'm in conversation with at the moment for the new book I'm working on, which is historical fiction again. And in the third line, the whole restless mob of us on spread blankets in the dreamy, briny sunshine, skylarking, and I was like, bloody hell! Like I had never, I thought I'd never heard the word skylarking before. I called my first, and and. The reason I called skylarking skylarking is is because that was a, a word that was in the original historical documents in the inquest. But I was like, bloody hell, it was there. It was there yeah. in this on the first page of the writer idolised, you know, when I was 16 and, and just didn't even think that a normal person was allowed to be a writer when they grew, grew up. Um, yeah. And it was there like this kind of magical spell or something i just you know and even reading it again now that you know the the finger and the lady luck that bitch you know all of that yeah. stuff like i just 
it's the boldness, me. isn't it? It's the boldness. It gives yeah, you permission as a writer to um, to go, okay, how about I risk embarrassing myself yeah. and throwing myself headfirst into language the way he does. Yeah. And when yeah. you read that for the first time, it gives you permission to do that. And particularly, particularly as a young writer, you need that permission. That's what you... That's the only way you'll learn, isn't it, by throwing yourself yeah. in head first and he's a, yeah. he's a good teacher. Hey, we have, um, we probably have another 40 minutes. In a, um, <laughs> it's I'm a whole series. Say, yeah, <laughs> I'm afraid to say we've come to an end. So I'm just going to have to mention the other books. I do apologise that they haven't had all of our time, but just so our listeners can hear, Swallow the Air by Tara June Winch, Ghost War by Sarah Moss, Underland by Robert McFarlane and the plays Bob and Up by Dorothy Hewitt and The Die House by Mina Calthorpe. Hey, thanks so much. This has been super fun. Tegan, thank you. Completely delightful. Should we do it again? <laughs> <laughs> I've been talking, everyone, to Kate Mildenhall. She's a novelist and she's what I'm also going to call a broadcaster. I'm hoping that all of her chosen books are still in print and available from all good bookstores and her beautiful book, The Mother Fault, is out there for you to buy. So I really recommend you taking a look at it.